Good morning. This morning we are starting a rather ambitious sermon series that's going to take us through the entire Bible in about 12 weeks, the whole summer. And not only are we going to be preaching through the Bible in about 12 weeks, but we are actually inviting you to follow along with us, to actually read through the entire Bible this summer. We know that, you know, as we head into summer that many of our rhythms change, uh, our patterns change, and this is a way for us to actually invite you to make space and to maybe develop a new rhythm uh, to continue to devote yourself to the teaching of Scripture. And knowing that many of us are going to be kind of in and out throughout the summer, uh, we have compiled a list of resources and given it away so that hopefully you can track with us and we can do this as a community even as we're you know on vacation uh, or just relaxing or just away in maybe like a cooler place uh, at some point. Send pictures if you ever get there. Um, and so I want to just just explain a little bit of this resource that you probably found when you came in. Um, the first thing that you'll see on there is a, a, reading, a reading schedule. Now the longer reading uh, will actually take you through the whole Bible in about 12 weeks. And if you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, you know, John, I've, I've done the whole Bible in 90 days thing. This is actually 83 days. Uh, I did the math. And so if you're looking for a new PR, you know, this would be the time to do it this summer. But if you read that longer section, it'll take you through the whole, the whole uh, range of scripture, the, the whole thing this summer. But if you read the shorter readings, um, you're still gonna get the, the, the vignettes. Uh, the major kind of moves within this narrative, this grand story of Scripture. So we invite you to pick one or go through both as, as uh, time uh, allows this summer, maybe one week reading the shorter, maybe the next week reading the longer reading, and to experiment with how you read, whether it's, uh, you know, reading uh, or listening. You know, there's many apps out there that you can, you can click and someone will read it uh, to you, and you can just relax and listen to Scripture maybe on your drive to work or something like that. We just encourage you to experiment with it. One of my favorite descriptions of the Bible is that it is the territory in which we expect to hear God speaking to us. It's the territory in which we expect to hear God speaking to us. Our hope is that this practice this summer will cultivate hopeful expectation in all of us, that we wouldn't just read it just to kind of, you know, get through it, uh, to kind of, you know, check it off. But that as we come to the text, day in and day out, we would actually expect a word to come to us from this, from this text. That's what we're hoping throughout this whole summer. And of course, uh, navigating the territory of the Bible is not always easy. It's, it's rather difficult at times. And so what we've also tried to do, if you flip the page over, is we've tried to give a little bit of a road map. We've got these five kind of guideposts. Uh, to navigating the territory of Scripture as you're bogged down in Second Chronicles or in the middle of Isaiah to, to think through these, these major things. This is what to keep in mind as you're reading through Scripture together this summer. And along with that, we've created a podcast uh, to kind of walk through each of these five guideposts. It's called Begin Where You Are. Now, if you're the kind of person that when you hear podcasts, you know exactly what to do with that, just, just raise your hand. Like, you know, you know where to go, how to subscribe. Just keep, keep your hands up. Like, really, really, okay. So everyone else, um, these are the people that you need to talk to. 
to ask how you get this podcast thing going for yourself. They can take your phone and subscribe, and you can just have it. It's, great. it's a great thing to do. So find one of these people. They can help you. If not, you can go to uh, soundcloud.com slash begin where you are and check out, uh, check out this as a resource. It's really uh, dedicated to just trying to help you read through the Bible and to do so with joy, um, hoping that God might say something to you this summer as, as you're on this journey. Are you still with me? I know, I know that's a lot, okay? Take this home, check it out, look at all the different resources that we have to offer. One of the things that you're gonna find as you're reading through the Bible is that there are a lot of stories. There's a lot of stories. There's a few genealogies, you'll get through them, but there's mostly a lot of stories. It seems that God likes telling stories. God likes telling stories. The Bible itself is a grand story. It's telling a, a major story of salvation in which God reveals God's self to be the God who saves. The first major instance of this is when God calls Israel out of Egypt, saves them out of slavery. And then in the New Testament, when God raises Jesus from the dead, thereby raising us all to new life. This is the God who saves. And this is the story that the Bible tells and while the Bible tells kind of this one major grand drama of salvation, we also know it contains a lot of different stories describing how different individuals and in different communities were invited by God to be part of that major story. These stories share a lot in common. The main thing that they share in common is their relationship to God and God's faithfulness to keep the promises that God makes. The stories contained within the scripture should tell us, I think, something about what the Bible is and how we should read it. It should tell us that the Bible is far more than just a rule book. It's far more than just kind of a, a human, human's owner manual. It's more than just information too, right? Like it's, uh, it's not as one author described, uh, spark notes on the past. It's more than that. We use stories far more often than rules or statistics or just kind of plain facts to organize and make sense of our lives. And the reason for this is that stories move us far more deeply than probably anything else. And the Christian claim is more than that these stories are interesting or exciting, certainly sometimes violent. They're more than just historically valuable the Christian claim is that these stories are true. These stories are true. And what I mean by that is that these stories help us to see the world as it really is. These stories help us to see the world as it really is. The world really is a place in which God acts. The world really is a place in which God makes promises and keeps those promises. And that makes all the difference to us as we read these stories. So we're going to begin this series in the only place that really makes any sense, in the beginning. So I know you have already heard from that first chapter of Genesis. We're going to pick up the story in Genesis 1, 26 through 31. But before we read, I invite you to just take a moment. Just take a moment of silence with all your faith and with all of your doubt, preparing to hear something from God in this text this morning.
Listen now for the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. Holy God, be gracious to us as we come seeking a word that only you can give. Both here and now, as we're gathered for worship, and in our reading all summer long. We ask in the name of Jesus, who you raised from the dead. Amen. So I invite you to take a moment and think about your favorite stories. Think about your favorite stories. What makes a story particularly great for you? Is it interesting characters? Is it some insurmountable obstacle that these main characters overcome? Is it redemption in the face of of great loss or great pain? What makes a story particularly good for you? Andrew Stanton, uh, who I heard recently give a talk, um, you may recognize, if you don't recognize his name, you recognize his, his work. His work catalog includes movies like Finding Nemo, and Wally, uh, and all the Toy Stories, and the rest of the, the Pixar catalog. But in his talk, Stanton said that all good stories make you care. All good stories make you care. And they make you care by promising something at the beginning of the story that this story will lead to something significant. Stanton says that this can be as simple as a blank screen with scrolling yellow text, once upon a time in a galaxy far, far away. Or in a novel such as this, he paused and then said slowly in a deep voice, this is the master ring, the one ring to rule them all. This is the one ring that he lost many ages ago to the great weakening of his power. He greatly desires it, but he must not get it. If you're lost, this might help. Frodo (laughs) sat silent and motionless. Fear seemed to stretch out a vast hand like a dark cloud rising in the east and looming up to engulf him. This ring, he stammered, how, how on earth did it come to me? 
good stories make you care by promising to lead you somewhere significant. They draw you in. Something is at stake. And this is exactly what the story of creation does. And to understand the significance of the promise that it is making, we need to know a little bit more about who this story first addressed. Our biblical scholars tell us that when they first wrote this story down, right, they had been passing this story down um, through the oral tradition, telling one another. But when they first kind of wrote it down and edited it and compiled it, the people of Israel were in exile in Babylon. People of Israel were in exile in Babylon. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I should have known that. The theologians of Israel, inspired by God, uh, addressed this creation story to exiles living in Babylon. They'd been conquered by the Babylonians. They had been dragged away from their way of life, from their city, from their culture, from their sacred spaces, from their temple, and been forced to live in Babylon. Why is that interesting? What is significant about that? Well, imagine what's going through their minds. In the ancient world, their captivity by the Babylonians wasn't just their captivity by the Babylonians. This had cosmic significance, right? Not only have we been captured, but somehow maybe the Babylonian gods defeated our God. The Babylonian gods are more powerful than our God. This Babylonian gods now control the future, our future. Imagine the kinds of questions that they were asking. How did we end up here? Where is God in all of this? Is the world an absurd place where power and violence rule the day? In the midst of these anxieties and questions, the story of creation is told. And the story of creation claims that the God of Israel is still the gracious and benevolent ruler of the world. That the world is not an absurd place where violence and power rule the day. The God who can speak, okay? God who can speak and fundamentally change, alter reality. Who can create order and beauty and flourishing literally out of the nothingness. Who can with a word create light out of darkness. The claim here is that the same God can transform the chaos of our situation, the nothingness of our situation. The same God can bring light to our present darkness. Talk about making a significant promise. Of course, we're not in exile. That's clear. But we know what it's like to face situations to endure relationships where it seems that God might have abandoned us too. Whether it's death, whether it's loss, sickness, poverty, unemployment, despair, abuse, any number of the systemic isms that just seem so difficult to root out. Sure, we're not in exile, but who among us isn't anxious at least some of the time about the current state of politics in our country and across the world? Who among us isn't anxious at least some of the time 
by what seems to be a growing cynicism and resentment around us, and possibly even within us. And we begin to ask some of the same questions, perhaps, that Israel asked. Where is God in this? It's a future hold for us. Is the world an absurd place where violence and power seem to rule the day? And just as this text declares to despairing exiles that God is the Lord of all life and can be trusted, it declares it to us as well. This is the significance that is being promised at the beginning of the story. And there's more, right? Creation is not just a, a story about how it all began. It's actually much bigger than that. Creation is also about where it's all going. To limit the work of creation to just a single moment in history would be, as John Calvin reminds us, cold and barren. If that were true, if creation were just limited to a single moment in history, we might conclude that the world is kind of an absurd place where power and might and violence will ultimately have the last word and win. But this is not the story that Genesis tells us. Not only has God called all things into existence, God creates human beings. God creates you and me and everyone else and gives us an invitation to partner with him in the work of creation. It's ongoing. Creation is still happening. We are still building the world that we want to live in. And God invites us to be a part of that. I can't think of a more significant invitation than that. Many of you know that my wife and I just welcomed um, Elliot into the world, our, our second son. And one of the joys of raising kids is grandparents coming to town. It's one of the joys. Um, and what happens when grandparents come into town is I get to sleep, which is great. But, but secondly, they, they tell a lot of stories about, about uh, you know, me as a kid. Some of these stories are great, some of them not so great. Uh, but one of the stories my mom was, was telling was, uh, and this is totally normal, by the way. I'm just totally normal. You all probably did this too. When I was a kid, I, just, I would get so enraptured in stories that I would, I would want to enact them out, right? Like I, if I you know, watched Star Wars, I would go looking for a lightsaber like immediately, like before the movie was over probably. Um, if I read a book about a pirate, I would want to be a pirate, right? Like read a story about a cowboy, I'd go looking for a horse. Like I wanted to live into these stories. There was something so remarkable about the story being told that it drew me into it, even as a kid. Perhaps the invitation made at creation is a little bit like that. A little bit like God telling a story and inviting all of us to be involved, to want to, to, want to hear that story and then to go enact it, to go live it out. And the good news that's tucked away in the story of creation is not only this invitation, but that God is bound to this world and that this world is bound to God forever. This was hope for exiles who were living in Babylon. And I think it's hope for us now today as well. The world is not an absurd place where violence and power rule the day. 
The world is a place where God acts, where God saves. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.